0: Listeners, and welcome to the 51st episode of the Always Drive Podcast, your weekly look at the latest news from the car, truck, and motorcycle industries where we take everything but ourselves seriously. I'm your host, Devlin Riggs, and I have finally gotten the GTI out of its break-in period, meaning I've had the chance to wind up the engine a little bit, and I am really, really enjoying it. And while... I am out of the break-in mode. I, I'm still in that sort of phase of new car ownership where you baby it and park it far away in parking lots or go up to higher levels of the parking garage to find a space where you're sure nobody is going to ding your doors. Uh, the last couple of years with the Mazda, I was just sort of like, screw it, there are paint chips everywhere, do your worst, you other horrible drivers and parkers. Um, and turns out they did do their worst. Um... I didn't know I don't know where this break in or this this babying period stops though. I, I haven't washed the car in a few weeks, and it's partially because I'm I'm sort of a, sort of afraid of what I, I might find on it. I'm sure there are a couple of hairline scratches or nicks from rocks I've hit while driving two thousand miles. Um, I still don't have a front plate on the car since I'm hoping Missouri passes a law that eliminates this requirement. Uh, so the front bumper is pristine. Um I think it's probably just you, you get to a point where you get a collection of scratches and dents and, and maybe it's raining super hard and parking at the back of the Target lot sounds like a horrible proposition where you think, oh, what, what's the worst that's going to happen if I grab that second spot from the door? And, and then it goes okay and you start thinking that every time you go to Target until you're circling the lot trying to find the closest spots along with all the other lazy jerks. Um, but I'll I'll probably get out and wash it this weekend, and I hope I don't find anything horrid. Um, I am going to keep babying it for a while, which means not going through automated car washes. Because I've heard that even the, the touchless ones apparently kick up sand and rocks and damage your paint, which I'm just still too paranoid of at this point in ownership. Um, I also read this week about autonomous cars and how they actually can't go through automated car washes because of all the complex sensors and LiDAR arrays hanging off the car. And as somebody who's had a windshield wiper torn off, uh, my wife's old Civic by a car wash, I can't imagine how pissed I'd be if a $20,000 LiDAR sensor was wrenched off by a wayward brush or something. So... Until they're more seamlessly integrated, you'll have uh, computer science master students earning six figures and spending their time wiping bug guts off of cameras. And until this babying period is over with me, I'm still gonna be hand washing the GTI, even if it means finding a few dings here and there. Here are your top stories. Last week, I started the show off with a story about how electric vehicles are widely accepted as the future of motoring. Well, widely doesn't necessarily mean exclusively, and there were a few stories this week that I thought highlighted the the fractured nature of the future of fuels and what might power your next car and possibly the one after that. Uh, First, we heard from Porsche that they're dumping diesel engines in all their cars following the emissions scandal that that plagued its parent company, Volkswagen. This was especially well-timed because the German federal government ruled this week that city councils across the country were within their rights to ban diesel vehicles from city roads if they wanted to. Uh, to understand how big a deal this is, consider that diesel engines are Germany's baby. They were developed there, they were perfected there, and widely sold, and then cared about so much that the companies responsible for them decided that it was easier to find a way to cheat emissions testing systems than to redesign them to run cleaner. The The move by the government also runs against Germany's years of uh, the The politicians helping prop up its automotive industry, which is heavily invested in diesel and uh, could previously depend on the government enacting measures to sort of help give them a leg up. After it was announced that uh, 70 of Germany's cities uh, exceeded the European Union levels for nitrogen monoxide levels considered safe, it's hard to argue that the German government should support industry over the well-being of their people. And, and it's not just in Germany. The Italians are climbing aboard the diesel hate train, and uh, they announced this week that they're banning them from Rome, starting uh, diesel engines from Rome, starting in 2024, which gives owners ample time to offload their vehicles, which are undoubtedly dropping rapidly in value. Um, but then Porsche said, oh, just kidding. We're, we're not getting rid of all the diesel engines. The, the Cayenne and Macan will still get them, but they need them, right? Because they're, they're SUVs. Well, about 14% of Porsches sold are diesels, and while apparently interest in plug-in hybrid versions of the two SUVs are high, it's apparently not high enough for, uh, the, to supplant the diesel sales completely. Uh, apparently, this, this was a, a misunderstanding about Porsche exiting the diesel business, Uh, that they could have ridden to some really positive PR, but they chose to stick to the plan and damn the consequences. So while the rest of the world widely agrees that diesel has no place in the future of of vehicles, Porsche isn't quite ready to admit that they're there yet. Volvo, meanwhile, is making more of a definitive stance on its future fuel, uh, stating that its current lineup of internal combustion engines will be the last that the company develops. Now, They'll still be around and, and placed into cars until this current product cycle is up, which could be as many as 10 years down the road, but that hybrids and EVs would begin taking over showrooms shortly. And while while this is a noble gesture uh, for, for the environment and for progressivism, I, I can't help but think this is a bit premature based on the findings that uh, at the Centers of Automotive Research suggest Uh, that in 12 years, only 8% of the vehicle market will be electric. In 12 years, Mazda and Infiniti will have kept refining their already stellar petrol engines to achieve even greater efficiency than they have now uh, in addition to power, and Volvo will be stuck with this 2018 technology. Uh, it's, It's a brave move, but possibly really foolish by Volvo. Hyundai, meanwhile, is taking a different route entirely. Uh, which you may have seen if you were looking closely during the Olympics in Pyeongchang last month. Uh, Hyundai's Nexo crossover was ferrying folks around the city mostly autonomously, which I grant is not anything too entirely special these days. Hell, I mean, starting in April in California, they're going to allow fully autonomous cars to uh, uh, operate across the state without a driver. But this Nexo is a bit special because it's not just a level 4 autonomous car— it's also a hydrogen fuel cell vehicle. Uh, up until this point, really only Honda and Toyota have latched onto the idea of consumer-owned fuel cell vehicles, or FCVs. But Hyundai made a good point when focusing on the benefits that it presents to autonomous vehicles. Um, all that autonomous technology... It, All those cameras, all those sensors, they require a lot of power to operate, somewhere in the range of 50 to 100 laptops worth of power, and that will absolutely sap the life out of a traditional electric vehicle. Take Hyundai's Ionic EV, for example. It's it's powered by a 30-kilowatt-hour battery, which could power the average U.S. house for a day. The Nexo FCV generates 108 kilowatt-hours, So it's more than twice that of the ionic, allowing for greater range while still providing the autonomous tech all the power it needs. So while the future certainly looks like it's going to be mostly electric, what's far from certain is how the rest of the mix will shake out. Now for some headlines. An investigation from ProPublica and Mother Jones this week revealed that the city of Chicago has been bankrupting its citizens through aggressive efforts to collect on parking fines. And it's not just a few isolated cases. They found more than 10,000 Chapter 13 bankruptcies that included debts to the city, which were usually for unpaid tickets in amounts averaging $3,900. Tickets totaled about 7% of the city's total operating budget, around $264 million in 2016. Chicago loves to make parking difficult. For residential streets, they require you purchase a city sticker. Where you can find a parking spot, sometimes there will be neighborhood stickers too, further restricting the spots. If you don't have a city sticker, bam, $200 fine. And it's not like they won't give you a ticket because you already have received one. Unpaid tickets can result in garnishment of tax refunds, impounds, license suspensions, and more. So while they can't imprison you for debt, they can basically make it impossible for you to travel, which makes it awfully hard to hold down a job and pay off your fines. There are many caveats to this, of course. You should obey the law and pay for parking and park legally. And in Chicago especially, having a car sucks because of the winter, and it's generally pretty easy to get around with the L and the Metra. But they don't go everywhere. So while it's not impossible to avoid getting trapped in this sort of cyclical debt loop with the city, it's pretty hard to get out of it once you're in it. That's where bankruptcy comes in, which is sometimes the only choice even when it wrecks your credit score. Chicago has been one of the only major metropolitan areas to lose population recently, and one can't help but wonder if its policies like these that place the city's budget over the well-being of its people that's driving the exodus. This week, Li Shufu, chairman of Chinese automaker Geely, spent 7.3 billion euro on Daimler stock, making him the single largest shareholder in the company who rejected advances from him previously. He now owns about 10% of the company after initially only asking for 5%, and has signaled his intention to stick with that amount for the time being, which sounds like a threat if he's not taken seriously. China has been one of the strongest markets for the German vehicles in the last decade, and vehicles from Audi, BMW, and Mercedes, and others are frequently copied by Chinese manufacturers looking to cash in on their popular style. The Germans don't need help selling their cars in China, and Daimler already has partnerships formed with B A I C Motor and BYD to develop electric vehicles under the Denza brand name, so it makes sense why Daimler wouldn't want anything to do with Lee or Geely. What it is Lee is hoping to get from this hostile purchase of Daimler stock is still unclear, especially after it was reported that he had kicked the tires at Fiat Chrysler before going after Daimler stock. The companies are very, very different, so perhaps it's just an effort to exert greater control on overseas automotive players, sort of like the business equivalent of building sand islands in the South China Sea to claim more territory. Speaking of China, they are way out ahead of the rest of the world in terms of electric vehicle adoption, and automakers the world over are seeing the advantage of working with Chinese companies who have developed expertise in this space. One such company is BMW, who has partnered with the Chinese company Brilliance to produce the forthcoming electric Mini. Apparently, this will be the first Mini ever produced outside of England, even though Mini has been owned, operated, and designed by Germans since 2001. For some reason, uh, some Mini electric vehicles will also be produced in England, but they will be different than the ones made in China. Given the strong history of both countries producing unreliable crap— This is sort of like a choose-your-own-painful-automotive-adventure scenario. (laughs) Meanwhile, uh, UPS is keeping Brown close to town, or home, hometown. They're getting some electric vehicles from the U.S., specifically from Workhorse, who we've mentioned uh, a few times here for their electric pickup truck. Uh, Apparently, they've been working with UPS for about four years on the development of a Class 5 delivery truck, whatever Class 5 means, But UPS want more of them and have placed an order for 50. They'll use these vehicles as a technology testbed with the aim of purchasing more next year. Of course, the range of these trucks won't be as good as on their gas-powered counterparts, especially when hauling heavy loads, but UPS has said that, just like their skimpy shorts, they're okay covering less ground than is appropriate. Some disturbing news for all of you looking at used Ferraris. Um, This week, it was revealed that Ferrari corporate openly allowed dealerships to manipulate odometer readings rolling back mileage to zero to inflate the value of their vehicles for sale. It's not clear if they could roll back miles to an arbitrary number, since a car with 50,000 miles on it would surely show some signs of wear, and the odometer reading zero would be awfully fishy-smelling. There's also a statement from Ferrari that said that this could only be conducted on cars with fewer than 300 miles or 500 kilometers, which seems like it was intended to be used to wipe off delivery miles on new cars so that they could be handed over to customers with a big old goose egg on the dash. How many times they could be reset, though, could be meaningful, and the fact that in order to use the tool, dealerships were required to receive authorization from Ferrari HQ is most definitely meaningful because it means they're at least complicit in violating U.S. federal and state laws against odometer manipulation— Ultimately, I don't think this is going to result in any substantial change in the used Ferrari market since its application was apparently so limited, but it's just sketchy as hell that such a function existed anyway. It's pretty strange to me that Ferrari makes cars where you can go in and change the odometer willy-nilly, but you can't even stop it catching fire because they use cheap glue. Uh, Italian priorities, right? Um, back here at home, Donald Trump has announced that he will be applying a 25% tariff to foreign steel and a 10% tariff to foreign aluminum, apparently to prop up U.S. metal manufacturers. This is, of course, short-sighted and idiotic because lots of things use metal uh, and, and as components, importantly, including motor vehicles. So by making parts more expensive to come into the country, that incentivizes countries to produce their cars elsewhere and then import them, costing the U.S. vehicle manufacturing jobs. It also results in higher vehicle prices during a time when motor vehicle sales are down, costing dealerships salespeople jobs. It could also kick off a trade war with China, the world's largest steel manufacturer, who could impose tariffs on American goods in response, costing jobs in other sectors like farming. While the tariffs haven't been implemented yet, the announcement alone took the stock market down 500 points today because real business people have the common sense to understand how supply chains work and appreciate the consequences of such actions. Hopefully, this stock market drop will be enough of a warning sign to scare Trump away from actually implementing the tax. Um, visitors to Madrid, Spain, may have noticed the iconic España building looking—or excuse me, España building looking a little different due to a truly massive Ford advertisement recently showing off the new EcoSport compact crossover. It is actually a, the Guinness World Record holder for largest billboard. Um, I know an audio medium is not an ideal venue to discuss the scale of a visual advertisement, uh, but consider it's the size of 20 tennis courts and you you sort of have a mental picture of how huge and unnecessary it is. Um, If you're thinking it's ironic that they would use such a wasteful display to promote the Echo Sport, Ford says that when the ad campaign is complete it will be donated to the Apaskovi Foundation Employment Center for People with Disabilities, where the materials will be used in its construction will be repurposed in some way or another. Uh, The Nürburgring in Germany is widely considered to be the best place to test the limits of a car, thanks to its long and varied course. That's why it's so popular to try to set new lap records there. Automakers think of it as a measure of a car's ability to cope with the most demanding conditions uh, a car can face while driving as fast as possible. Uh, But for uh, Japanese companies, Germany is half a world away, so getting cars there for comprehensive testing can be a huge pain in the ass and very expensive. So as Toyota got to work on a new research and development center back home in Japan, they've decided to dedicate two square miles to the creation of a mini Nürburgring. It's going to be just 3.3 miles, but will feature many of the most demanding turns and elements of the famous German track. Fortunately, since this will only be owned and used by Toyota, I don't think we'll experience the same ridiculous lap time contests, saving journalists the world over from having to roll our eyes when some new company claims to have the fastest ever time around it. Another week, another crazy Uber story, Uh, but fortunately this was in no way the company's fault. Um, A man visiting friends at West Virginia University got hammered and, like a responsible college kid, called an Uber to get himself back home. Problem is, he lives in New Jersey, and the driver, a well-meaning chap with a ridiculously comfortable Toyota Sienna, obliged for the 300-mile journey across three states to return him home when he blacked out in the back seat. The cost of this monumental cock-up? $1,635, and one rich Uber driver's whole night. Uh, Even worse, the guy accidentally ordered an Uber XL instead of just an X, so he paid $700 more than he could have if his drunk ass had been able to press buttons right. Uh, At least he didn't drive, but maybe there is such a thing as too drunk to Uber. Uh, New Zealand residents are waiting for new cars from Japan have been forced to wait a bit longer due to a severe infestation of stink bugs on container ships from Japan. New Zealand has a, a very fragile ecosystem which stink bugs could potentially do some severe damage to. So three container ships hauling approximately 10,000 new and used vehicles from Japan have been made to sit off the coast of the country until they can be cleaned out. A further 8,000 cars are sitting back at the dock in Japan waiting for transport. New processes will apparently be put into place after this fiasco to ensure cars are cleaned prior to shipment, but there's still no word on when those ships will be cleaned out and uh, the vehicles delivered. Suddenly, my house's stink bug infestation doesn't seem so bad. Uh, Here in the Midwest, police across several states are looking for a man who has been stealing thousands of dollars from automated car washes in Ohio and Indiana. This guy rolls up to an automated wash, inserts a laminated $20 bill attached to some fishing wire, yanks out the bill, and cancels the sale on the wash machine, which spits out money in the amount he paid. At one station in Indiana, he was able to complete the task 35 times, netting him $700 just at one location. He's apparently done this several times at different locations in different states and has yet to be caught despite his face being visible to cameras on the machines. And we're not talking about some criminal hacker mastermind. We're, we're talking about a clever guy with a laminator and some fishing line. Um, I had no idea car washes were so easy to game or that they held $700 worth of cash in them at one time. I mean, kudos to this guy for figuring it out, but but also not, because, because he's a criminal. Um, in Kansas City this week, drivers along the 435 freeway that loops the city were treated to quite the show. Uh, specifically on display was a nude male riding a stolen bright yellow ATV into oncoming traffic. He refused to stop... Uh, For police and kept going for a while, managing to be filmed by several drivers, which, let me tell you, makes for one hell of an animated GIF. Uh, Police were eventually able to apprehend him and noted that no dangerous instruments were found on him, which seems like an especially harsh commentary on his manhood. Um, apparently, the owner of the ATV called the police to report it stolen, at which point the 911 dispatcher started laughing and said, uh, We know where your ATV is. Uh, the, the owner may want to go ahead and purchase a new seat, though. <laughs> I know I would. Uh, here are some new cars. Brand new, brand new, brand new. I don't like it unless you. You might see me in my. Brand new. With my. Brand new. my. Land Rover unveiled their new Explorer this week, which, unlike the similarly named Discovery, is not a car, but uh, actually a rugged Android phone uh, built by British company Bullet, who also makes a phone for Cat, that uh, construction equipment company. It has a two-day battery life and can be dropped from six feet without sustaining damage. My question is, who is this actually meant for? Yes, some people buy Land Rovers to appear rugged, but you can get the same effect from a Toyota Land or a Forerunner for less than half the price. You, can, you buy a Land Rover for luxurious capability, and a shitty smartphone used by construction contractors probably isn't what most Land Rovers identify as luxury. Um, last week or the week before, I mentioned how beautiful I thought the Jaguar F Type was, and, and I stand by that assertion. JAG has been absolutely on their game when it comes to design lately, and I even love the look of the F-Pace and the E-Pace, crossover, E-Pace crossovers, um, even, even though they're not sports cars and, and my general disdain for crossovers. They still exude that, that particular JAG style. Um, so when I saw that they had unveiled the I-Pace electric vehicle, I couldn't help but feel like they'd taken a giant leap backwards. Uh, Not only does it borrow the 2009 convention of naming everything new i-something, but it borrows its general shape from the Toyota Prius, which is not a good thing. Um, It it looks like a Prius on stilts uh, with a less useful trunk. I I know Jag is going after the Tesla Model X with this thing, and and it does look better than that egg-looking monstrosity from Elon Musk, but... Its performance with the 90 kilowatt-hour battery and 4.5 seconds zero to 60 do lag behind the Model X. Uh, sure, 400 horsepower is nothing to sniff at, and neither is more than 500 foot-pounds of torque. But Jags are bought on on looks and feeling, and not technical proficiency. And, and thank God for that. Um, this thing is not bringing it in the looks department, though. They even tacked on the wide front grille on a car that doesn't need a front grille because it doesn't use a radiator like its internal combustion siblings. The interior looks like a fancy Prius 2, which is to say nice, but not super compelling. Still though, it's a crossover and not a hatchback, so it'll still sell like crazy, but I think it's going to sell despite its looks rather than because of them. So we got a look at the new Chevy Silverado at the Detroit Auto Show, and, and it was impressive enough, but uh, GMC announced this week that the, the sister to that vehicle, the new GMC Sierra, which takes a cool up a notch, uh, specifically with the bed and the tailgate. Uh, while you'd expect to find carbon fiber on many supercars, pickups don't generally come to mind, but that's exactly what the Sierra's bed and cargo box are made out of. It not only provides best-in-class durability; it shaves 60 pounds from the steel bed's weight, improving the truck's efficiency, uh, but probably not its uh, wet weather attraction. Uh, plus, it has this awesome tailgate that can be set in six different configurations to co- to hold either people or cargo or your beer. Uh, it has a bunch of panels that flip or stow or or fold, and and it's it's hard to explain other than that it's a really cool innovation that you should totally look up and see how it works. Uh, this may be the year of the truck, but that doesn't mean that innovation stops or that we go backwards. Trucks can be cutting edge too, and I think uh, we're seeing that with the new uh, Sierra. Uh, in other body-on-frame news, Nissan announced its new Terra SUV, which will go on sale in China in the next couple of months. Like the old x that we used to have here in the States, the Terra is based on a pickup, the Nissan Navara, which we also don't have here in the States, which is the base for the Mercedes X-Class, which we also don't have here. Uh, there's no word on this guy, which sort of looks like a roided up Nissan Rogue uh, if it'll come stateside, but I have my doubts here. Not because it isn't, there isn't the demand for it. SUVs are huge right now, and it would make sense for Nissan to want to have a bigger piece of that pie. But since the Navara and the X-Class aren't available here, That leads me to believe that these cars weren't produced to comply with U.S. safety standards, which would mean a lot of changes would have to be made in order to get the Terra here. With the popularity of the Rogue, I think Nissan is just content to sit back and count its dollars and leave us without the actual fun SUVs, which is a shame. In other new car news that isn't actually a new car, Congress has finally set a deadline by which makers of electric vehicles will require their cars to emit a sound during low speeds to warn pedestrians who are either blind or looking at their cell phones uh, too much to see that they're about to be hit by a car. Uh, This rule has been in the works since 2010, so automakers can't say that they didn't see it coming. In fact, several have tried to get out in front of the rule by already implementing a pedestrian safety sound. The Nissan Leaf and Fisker Karma both have some obnoxious or unsettling sounds, Uh, but I think the award for best idea for EV pedestrian safety sound goes to Fiat Chrysler, uh, uh, strangely, for their work with the all-electric Fiat 500E. Uh, Take a listen to their safety video here. The 500E has an audible pedestrian warning system that uses distinctive sounds to help ensure the safety of other road users and pedestrians. The warning system is automatically activated when selecting drive or reverse. In drive range, at approximately 22 miles per hour, the warning is silenced until the vehicle speed returns to approximately 20 miles per hour. The audible warning system uses an in-car sound synthesizer with a speaker located in the engine compartment. That sounds like this. couldn't possibly compliment a fiat chrysler car on this podcast you guys haven't been listening if you thought that was a possibility anyway thanks to nicholas falcon for the intro song thank you guys for listening uh the new, new pedestrian safety rules go into effect in september of 2020 so enjoy the silence while you can because this is coming see you guys next week